the quality of the relationships is what really carries you even more than necessarily having a million people know your name. It's more about having the right people say, they changed my life. And that's why you want to know this person or that's why, you know. Um, And so the generosity that you can show as you're building and growing your venture and your vision is really, in my mind, the thing that opens the door to any kind of deal. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up. So buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large, complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you could do even without significant capital. My guest today is Ra Goddess. Ra is the entrepreneurial soul coach behind hundreds of breakthrough change makers, cultural visionaries, and social entrepreneurs. From multiple New York Times bestsellers to multi-million dollar social enterprises, Ra's unique methodology has empowered a new generation of socially conscious entrepreneurs to stay true, get paid, and do good. From the onset of a more than 30-year career as a cultural innovator and social impact strategist and creative change agent, Ra has drawn the power of creativity, culture, and community to move hearts, minds, and policy. Her bio on the, on the site is going to give a lot more of her background in, in terms of some of the things she's done in the past. She's been featured in Time Magazine, Miss uh, Red Book, Forbes, Fast Company, Essence, on and on and on. Uh, all kinds of awards, and she's a sought-after speaker. She's um, led the conversation around whole self-approach to entrepreneurship as a key to a more just, harmonious, and sustainable economy and culture. She's presented at SOCAP and Bioneers and SVN, and I mean, I can go, just go on and on and on. And the exciting thing is, Habayo says our upcoming book, and we are recording this when it's still our upcoming book, but this podcast is going live on January 22nd, which means that this book, this is an advanced copy, will have been launched the day before on January 21st. So you are, you are listening or watching this the day after the launch of her new book, The Calling on St. Martin's Press, in which she leverages her unique methodology into a step-by-step blueprint for finding your purpose and making your most profitable contribution. Welcome to the Fueling Deals podcast, Ragadis. Thank you so much, Corey. It's my joy to be here. Well, so listen, I, I'll, I'll come clean for anybody who doesn't know. A lot of, a lot of the audience uh, does know already, uh, but Ra also happens to be my wife. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and I will tell you that that so you know, anybody who's ever listened to this podcast knows authenticity is one of my highest values, and I say this authentically that Rob would be a guest on this podcast whether she was my wife or not. 
uh, because she has a huge amount to offer. This book is already, I mean, wow, it's already getting all kinds of steam. I mean, it's got it's got uh, endorsements already. I mean, Gabby Bernstein wrote, wrote the forward. I mean, Van Jones and Chris Carr and Brenda Burchard and William Yuri and Barbara Yusun and Lisa Nickel. I mean, on and on and on. All right. Major, major people have, uh, have been raving about this book. And not only are you going to hear about the book, but you're also going to hear about how Ra got a major deal with a major um, book uh, publisher and learn a little bit about the book deal world. And, um, you know, and that's going to be really, really interesting because if you haven't done anything in that world, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's a very interesting uh, uh, road when you work with a major publisher. But before we get there, Ra, I want to take you back to when you were growing up as a little girl. <laughs> and what and what did you and what did you want to be? Because my guess is, and maybe I'm wrong, uh, that you know a uh, uh, a best uh, soon to be best selling author and uh, CEO uh, of a of a, a company that's making change uh, for thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in the world. Uh, maybe that wasn't it, but maybe it was. So, what did you want to be? Aha! Uh-huh. So. It's funny because I kind of vacillated between two things. I either was going to be a doctor because I loved the game operation <laughs> and being a surgeon, or I was going to be a rock star uh, because I love music. And, um, and it's funny because if I sort of look at what I think, what aspects of kind of each of those potential um, things I feel like I do is, is I, I help people heal. I help people grow and I help inspire and motivate people to be more, do more and have more in their lives. So you uh, fulfilled your dream of being a rock star. It just looks, a little different. <laughs> it just looks very, very different. Exactly. <laughs> and, and what was your first real business? However you define that. You know, I knew you were going to ask me this question and I was really thinking about it. You know, as a, as a young kid in high school and junior high school, I used to put on fashion shows for our community. And I would get the neighborhood kids and the kids from my school to model. I would get stores to sponsor us with clothes. And then we would charge admission and we would throw these really big, wonderful, creative fashion shows. And, um, and that was how I made money. One uh, of the ways I made money. <laughs> By the way, folks, uh, for those who are listening on our usual medium, which is audio on um, you know Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or my website or uh, Google Play, um, we also actually, for the first time, are doing a video version of this. So you may also see this posted on video on social media or on my YouTube channel, et cetera. Decided to, uh, this is a good one to, to do some video on as well. So check that out. Um, so, Rob, before we get into the book and book deals, et cetera, just uh, give people just a, a little bit about uh, Move the Crowd and, and what the company does and who you serve. Absolutely. So we are an entrepreneurial training company specifically dedicated to helping people stay true, get paid and do good. And we work with purpose-driven entrepreneurs, people who are really, really clear that they want to make a difference in the world and particularly people who are interested in shifting culture. You know, so whether it's young girls in STEM, whether it's gender parity in the corporate C-suite, whether it's racial justice and equity um, in our society, all of the entrepreneurs that we serve in some way, shape or form are trying to move the needle on culture. I love it. And 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 you serve every. I mean, it's amazing. The, the, the broad, uh, you know, I mean, artists to uh, 
you know, people who run rocket <laughs> science companies too. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, people who, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's really amazing. So let's talk a little bit, right? So, you know, your book, uh, you know, launched yesterday and, uh, and, you know, a lot of people, um, have no idea what goes into, uh, you know, getting, getting a book done and also, you know, the different avenues, right. You know, there's self-publishing, there's what I did, which they call hybrid business publishing for my thought, authentic negotiating book, um, you know, which I did for a particular strategic reason. And then there's, and then there's, um, you know, major publisher publishing and that game has changed significantly. You know, people don't understand that. I mean, Almost nobody, unless you're a major celebrity or politician or whatever, gets big advances these days. They don't understand the gatekeepers of uh, agents and whatever. So just give us give us a quick overview of the landscape of getting a book deal done. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, to your point, it's 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 a challenge <laughs> to be able to get one. And I think um, you know, a couple of things. I think part of what has shifted in the publishing world has been that with the different imprints, you have a new generation of visionaries. Um, and, and actually, you know, my hope is that this makes the landscape a little more open, you know, the playing field a little bit more level. But I think you've had errors in generations of editors who've had very different kinds of uh, priorities and agendas. And I think for a really long time, we saw kind of like, if you weren't, like you said, if you weren't a really a major celebrity or really, really well-known brand, really, really hard to accomplish. The book industry is still a really, really tough business. And, and, you know, folks would say that it's getting tougher and tougher and tougher because most people are no longer really consuming content, you know, through, through books. We, we tend to go through media now and, you know, in multimedia, and there's all different kinds of platforms in which in places and ways in which we consume content, including podcasts. Podcasts has been a big, you know, way in which the, you know, sort of the liter- literary world has had a run for its money. But, but interestingly enough, podcasts have also been a way in which people have been able to really grow their audiences in terms of book sales. You know what I mean? So it's, it's really interesting, but it, but it, you know, it's, um, I still believe that there are people out there that appreciate holding a book. <laughs> now that may not be the case five years from now. Um, but it is where we are now. And, and, or, or, and I, or, or holding a Kindle or other. Uh, yes, or holding or, a Kindle or, or, or listening on Audible. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. listen, I don't think storytelling or really phenomenal nonfiction content is ever going to go out of style. Like, I right. just happen to believe that it's just the way that we learn, it's the way that we are, uh, we hold intrigue and imagination and fascination. And it's also the way that inspiration and motivation get delivered. So I believe that we're always going to have in some way, shape or form that kind of content packaged and delivered, right? However, what I, what I do think is happening, which has been really, for me, interesting and fascinating to watch is I think you you have almost a new generation of editors and some seasoned editors who have come into a new era of really looking for fresh voices. And I think that social media and the influencer game and sort of the way in which influencers have risen through the ranks through their social media channels and the way that they've been able to build following and community has certainly added to this shifting of the landscape and in some cases leveling of the playing field in terms of who publishers or who editors are now starting to look for and listen for. People who really have a clear message 
people who are really clearly building an engaged movement are going to be some of the folks that that I would say immediately are going to be of interest to people who are currently, you know, sitting in those publisher seats and editor seats. So, so let's take a step back for a second, because uh, in the major publisher game, right, the usual way that people go is, you know, and uh, the audience may not fully understand how you get these deals, right? Uh, for the most part, what it's been is that, you know, you don't go directly to a publisher. Right, you need to go through an agent. The agents are the gatekeepers, usually. Right, the, uh, in order to get the attention of a publisher, for the most part, you have to go through an agent, and basically, the agents get pitched, you know, hundreds, thousands of times, and 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 agree to represent a very few, small percentage of people. Right, that that's the truth. That's been traditionally the traditional route. route. Mm-hmm. Right, you had a very different experience. You know, and you know, I'll just say, you know, you were approached by a couple of publishers, and then you were able to basically have your pick of agents because they knew that you had a deal. Now, I'd love you to talk about because that didn't come by happenstance. That didn't come by luck. There's a reason why you got approached and flipped the script on on the usual way, and and I'd love you to talk about that because people, you know, it would be great for people to understand what it takes to set yourself up for the kind of interest and deal you ended up getting. Yeah, I mean, it, it really comes from being in your field and becoming known in your field. And, and it's interesting because depending upon the industry that you're in, some of that may show up in the context of social media, but some of that may not show up necessarily in the context of social media. So it isn't always you need to have 100,000 followers or more, though mm-hmm. that was sort of typically what, you, you know, what you've been told. Um, but it's more about like, do you have a tried and true reputation? Do you have deep uh, relationships um, uh, with influential people, people who are willing to vouch for you and stand for you and endorse you in the work? And are you doing innovative work? Are you in some way, shape, or form moving the needle in your industry in a way that is intriguing or different or unique? And in my particular case, I think part of um, what worked in my favor was that I had been someone who had been behind the scenes for a really long time of a number of really prominent people and had been um, fortunate enough to have played an integral role in helping to build and shape some of those brands and some of those movements. You know, so, I, I mean, I think that this idea of, you know, how do you build your own thought leadership and your own messaging and, and actually cultivate and hone and strengthen that over time. And then in what ways are you contributing to movements or ventures or opportunities that ultimately achieve a certain level of success are all the kinds of things that people look for. Um, and it's almost like the best of both worlds because you can be a fresh new voice, but yet you've got your veteran on the ground. You know, so you're able to leverage those other kinds of relationships and resources to help make the book successful, which is always what they're, you know, what they're looking at and what they're, you know, wanting to assess will happen if they invest. And and one of the things I love in your case, uh, and it's really um, a great lesson for people who are listening and and, and evaluating, you know, doing book deals, is that, um, yes, I mean, the, the the conversation of influencers, right? Uh, and who is a celebrity and who can move books has shifted over time. And you mentioned somebody has 100,000 followers, a million followers, whatever it is, right? 
but like you didn't have like you've I mean you've built your following significantly over time, but at the time you got your book deal, you didn't have like that wasn't the reason you got a book deal, right? It wasn't oh. You know, yes, Roz, the equivalent of a TV celebrity in the old days, because she's just, you know, a, a YouTube sensation uh, and, you know, has all these followers. Right. It really was what you were talking about, where, you know, you were uh, not only the person behind the scenes, but you had provided such value for these people that they were willing to, to stand for you. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a reason why Gabriel Bernstein just wrote the forward on your book. Right. And, and credits you all the time. And and, you know, people like Russell Shani and others, you know. So, you know, for me, because I'm into building authentic business relationships. Right. Like, you know, I, I'd love you to talk about that more. Right. Uh, you know, that conversation of what you built over time, not for the purpose of getting a book deal. Right. But no. for the, but, you know, but that's but that was the result of it. Or one of the results of. It. Yeah. I mean, you know, from the founding of my company, it was always driven by purpose and it was always about impact. And so for me, I measured my success by the success of those I've served. And that has always been my way of operating and being in the world. Um, and the way that my impact has shown itself has really been being able to support a new generation of change agents and leaders whose impact, you know, stretches in the tens of millions. Um, And so, and I feel like it's important to say that because sometimes we, you know, when we cultivate a brand and we build a brand as a CEO or as a business owner, you know, there are lots of different ways that we can see it done. You know, there are very, you know, sort of high profile celebrity CEOs who, you know, your their faces everywhere all the time. And, you know, because they have that face recognition or that name recognition, you know, we believe that they wield a lot of power. But then there are also the people who are behind the scenes who wield many would argue even more power because they're behind a lot of the faces that you see all of the time. And whether you know them or you don't know them, you know, you feel their imprint, <laughs> right? right. right? They, they're sitting in your living room, whether you know it or not, you know, and, and I've always um, been more comfortable behind the scenes. I tend to lead from the back of the room. Um, you know, that is what gives me joy is to actually watch other people shine. Um, and that's really what I've dedicated my life to and my work to. And, and I think that there's, you know, for people who do tend to lead in that way, there's often a lot that they can teach and a lot that they can share because you've done 30 years of observing and watching because of the nature of how you lead. And I think that was one of the things perhaps that may have been most interesting to to the publishers who wanted to lean in around the book and you know what's interesting feeling those listeners is that so first of all i want you to understand the magnitude of, of what happened here not to embarrass my wife on this podcast but but you gotta understand this this thought there were a couple of publishers who, who leaned in initially and came to her and why was that it was sort of like what she said you know behind the scenes and they they sort of just kept hearing her name from people that they were super successful and who they respected. And it was like, it was almost like, you know, they started saying, who is this Ragadis, right? And then they sought her out, right? It's a very different way of, you know, uh, of, of, of approaching things, especially in this, you know, Instagram, look at me kind of, you know, world, right? Um, and it's a powerful way because listen, on any kind of deal that you do, 
when somebody's coming to you because they're intrigued about you, you know, you are in a much better position to get a deal done that works for you and that's more lucrative. And that's, you know, and you get the other things, important parts of the deal than if you are pitching and chasing them, right? You know, whether that's for my speakers out there, you know, if you build a reputation and then somebody comes to you and wants you to be on their stage versus you putting in a proposal with a hundred other people to a meeting planner, right? Or whether that's, you know, what I do, for example, as a lawyer, where I built a reputation in certain spaces and financial services and entrepreneurial space, et cetera, you know, where, where, where people seek me out. You know, it's uh, it's a longer road, by the way. It's a lot of work, by the way. Yeah. You know, there's no quick, you know, it doesn't happen a year in, you know, because you built a million followers because, you you know, you had a, a video that go viral. And I'm not criticizing that other route either, by the way. I'm just saying that I think this is really, you know, in, instructive. And I want you to understand that this ended up with 11 publishers bidding into three rounds on this book. And I'm only saying that because... You know, that result and more importantly, with, you know, Rock connecting with the perfect publisher, you know, who she loves with St. Martin's, who's really, you know, been behind the book. And, and, you know, that all came about by being in a place of service, providing value to other people and increasing their, their impact. So any last thoughts on that, Ra, before we move? I, into I mean, the I, think the, I think the, you know, and I'm, and I'm going to say this, and I think for some of you, it, you know, it kind of goes without saying because it's the way that you operate and that you live, but making a difference for people, I think is everything. And I think we're in a world now where it's all about impact and it's all about the value that you can provide for people that really is game changing, you know? So even I think the ways that we've traditionally done business and the way that we've traditionally operated, um, on some level has been maybe a bit more transactional. But I think, you know, for a lot of those of us who've been around for a really, really long time and who've had the privilege to do business with people that we respect and love and care about, we know what the depth of those relationships is and we know what the value of those relationships is. And so, you know, I I, I just want to say that because I think sometimes, you know, when you come into an industry, you think it's about knowing everybody. And I actually think that, you know, the quality of the relationships is what really carries you even more than necessarily having a million people know your name. It's more about having the right people say, they changed my life. And that's why you want to know this person or that's why, you know. Um, and so the generosity that you can show as you're building and growing your venture and your vision is really, in my mind, the thing that opens the door to any kind of deal. So. Love it. And listen, some of what you said there really ties into the calling and the conversation of the book. But before we go there, and I want to go there, um, just get, you know, obviously not, uh, you know, any specifics on your particular deal, but give people an idea of what a book deal looks like, right? I mean, you know, there are all kinds of, you know, topics and issues that come with a major publisher, foreign rights, local rights, you know, uh, people think you get a, you get an advance, even if you get a decent advance, you get, you just get a check. No, that doesn't happen. It's staged out, right? There's a structure to the deal with certain expectations, you know, certain things you can negotiate in terms of certain bonuses on certain performance. So, you know, give, give people an, an idea of the landscape of the types of categories and things that go into a book deal. Well, I mean, I think the, you know, the first thing is being really clear about the genre that you're operating in because deals are structured differently based upon what the genre is that you're actually 
um, you know, writing inside of. Um, and then, you know, are you a first time author? Are you an author with a track record? Um, and, you know, for those of you who have independently published and had success before, that that actually really does count. Um, you know, and there are certain numbers and benchmarks. And again, it depends on, you know, the landscape. It depends on the genre. Um, but those things are absolutely taken into account and, and they have a certain expectation of what they'd like to see on the self-published side, you know, if you're doing a first major deal book. Um, so all of those things get factored into it, as well as whether or not, you, you know, uh, in terms of the foreign rights conversation, you know, that often depends on the market and what, you know, and what the strength of the market is. And, and again, where you are in your career of actually doing a book deal as to whether or not it may serve you or not serve you to, to maintain those rights and then try to do, you know, your own deal in a different way or have your agent do a separate deal for you. Um, you know, all of it is predicated though on what you think you can do, you know, in terms of actual book sales, because, you know, that's what ultimately dictates the number. Um, and, you know, part of what the publisher's job is to try to evaluate through the proposal um, is to discern what they believe the asset value is of the relationships you have and the people who are going to go to work and, you know, what's the nature of your team and, you know, is there a real marketing plan? And, you know what I mean? Like all of those things, you know, kind of go into it. And more importantly, and, and I'm, and this may surprise people, but how hard are you going to go to really make the book successful? And is this going to be something that you're excited about for three months? Or is this going to be something that you're really going to continue to promote and continue to create opportunities for? Um, and, and I do want to say that I, I think there's incredible value in playing a longer game. You know, a lot of times what we hear is that people launch a book and, you know, and in the first three weeks, it goes to the New York Times bestseller. And then people sort of assume that if a book doesn't do that, that its life is over. And yet, if you look at one of the top selling books for 2017 and 2018, Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis, that book really didn't even sort of catch steam until 90 days after the launch, you know, now Rachel and her subsequent books is, you know, it's a, it's a whole other ball game. But again, there, there are all of these stories where books get second, third and fourth wins and, you know, wins as in W I N D S mm -hmm. <laughs> and then go on to win as in W I N <laughs> because, you know, again, the, the vitality and the vibrancy of the book catches you know, fire. And, and for various kinds of reasons, it can just be the right celebrity endorsement. It could be a TED talk that takes it over the edge. It could be a lot of different um, kinds of reasons, events, and, and sort of serendipitous occurrences that converge in the right moment to take a book, you know, on, on in to, you know, to whether it's New York Times bestseller, stature, or, you know, or other major benchmarks, depending upon what you measure as success for a book. Um, and so I think publishers are very much interested in authors who are willing to be in it for the long haul, who have a deep, great passion, and who are going to go hard to really ensure that the book is successful and do everything that they can, everything that they see that there is to do 
you know, to really, to really have it, have it land and, and have an impact on, uh, on the market. And, and then in terms of what, you know, obviously book deals are all over the place, but, um, you know, if you do get an advance, uh, well, first of all, your agent's going to take a piece of that, right? That's going to be paid in tranches, uh, you know, something up front, something when you submit the manuscript, when they approve it, like different stages, right? And then, um, and then, uh, you know, there, there's sometimes some bonuses for hitting some some things. So it's a, it's a stage deal, right? And then smart authors are reinvesting a lot of that money in yeah. In promoting the book, you know, because the end game for most people is is to leverage the book into other That's the activities, thing. right? You want to see it, you know, and again, I think the, the thing that I would, you know, really stress is that your thought leadership is really important. I mean, your intellectual capital, the ideas, the innovations, the ways in which you're serving people that are distinct and unique from perhaps the ways that other people are doing your work in your industry. If you have a really unique story, if you have a really interesting um, clientele that you serve, if you're coming to the industry with a very unique and distinct philosophy, you know, if you're building uh, an interesting movement that's really about galvanizing and leveraging, you know, massive energy and, 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 and communities to be able to get certain things done. These are all of the kinds of things that really lend themselves to a, a great book. And so, you know, I also want to say to you all, like the content has to be there. So the greatest marketing plan in the world is, yeah, sure. But if people aren't moved by the content, it's very hard to get it off the ground. And, you know, editors by nature are writers first, you know, publishers by nature are lovers of, of strong content. And so, you know, people have to be inspired by what the book is about and what they believe is possible for people as they engage the book and, and who the audience is and is their longevity even built into the audience are all things that are considered in the context of, um, you know, how they evaluate what the potential of a book like that would be. All right. So now let's talk about the content and what inspired all those publishers to be interested in this book, The Callings, Three Fundamental Shifts to Stay True, Get Paid and Do Good. Um, because, you know, we've already had um, so many people talk about, rave about this book at interesting levels, right? You know, because there's the mindset level, the mindset shift level, right? Then there's big frameworks that you have in this book. And then, you know, it drills down to the practical, okay? And you actually give people homework and exercises, right? Yeah. So, and, and it's, it's you know, it's 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 the kind of book that, um, you know, there are some books out there that, that are great philosophically. Nobody knows how to, how to apply them. There's some that are just purely tactical, but you don't really have a context and a framework for how they, you know, how they work. So talk to me before we even get into the details. Talk to me about, like, I'm fascinated about, about the way you chose to structure this book and uh, why you did it that way and the impact that that's having on people. For me, my goal was really to, to give people a blueprint. You know, I think um, as someone who's worked in the social impact space for a really, really long time and who's worked in different kinds of capacities, I think, you know, people were able to wrap their minds and their hearts around the ideology. But I think the practicum has remained for, for many very elusive, you know, like, how do I, if I really want to make a difference in the world, what is my step-by-step 
for how to do that. And it's almost kind of, you know, crazy when we think about the fact like, like, wow, where would I go if I wanted a step-by-step blueprint for how to make a difference in the world? And, and yet it's something that I feel like all of us on some level want to do. You know, I firmly believe, and, you know, I say this all the time, Corey, I believe that contribution is a human need. People need to contribute. There's something about our existence where we need to know that we matter and we need to know that we can offer and be of service in a way that makes a difference in the lives of other people. And whether, you know, you're choosing to do that in a corporate context, whether you're choosing to do that in an entrepreneurial context, whether you're choosing to do that in a not-for-profit or governmental context, you know, you get to choose your sector in terms of where and how you want to participate. But this opportunity to be really intentional about your contribution and your unique contribution, um, for me, I feel like is is everything, right? Mm. And so I wanted to create the blueprint that actually gave people access to step-by-step constructing and being able to architect, give voice to, and give life to their unique contribution in a way that was not only profitable, but also impactful. Mm. And I think it was the combination of sort of those three things that had people go, wow, I've never quite seen that put together before in that way, or I've never quite heard it talked about in that way. We talk about purpose, but often it stays here kind of in the philosophical. We don't, we've never necessarily seen the ground game (laughs) for purpose. And my intention in writing this book was to be able to give people the ground plan. So whether it, whether it's in the category of stay true or get paid or do good, just pick one example of exactly what you were talking about, right? Just just to to make it a little more concrete for the listeners, like take one example of where you uh, talk about in the book some aspect of a purpose, right, and have people drill down to uh, you know practical application. Yes. Yeah, so in the book, particularly in the do good section, I actually map out the social impact landscape for you from end to end. So what are the sectors? What are the different strategies? What are the different ways that people operate? You know, I give you with which I really want to shout out to the United Nations and the UN Sustainable Goals because they gave us permission to be able to share and talk about this landscape of the 17 key goals that they are playing for for 2030 and what that looks like and where are all of the different places that people can play. And there's a really beautiful way through that work that they made it very uh, easy and accessible for people to start to think about what causes, what issues, what opportunities. But then I also give you a social impact strategy. Like I give you the framework for how to develop your own social impact strategy in a way that is financially profitable. Yes. And so I take you step by step and you actually get a worksheet. Like I walk you through the different segments. I take you from, you know, sector through strategy, through idea, through, and we just like literally walk all the way down to the question of what is the highest and best use of you? The rigor that I bring to each aspect of this work, and particularly in the context of the do good section, the rigor I bring to this work is it isn't enough, I believe, to just do good work. I feel like you need to be doing your work and you need to be able to understand what is your work. And I say that because for many of us, you know, when we start to think about do, doing good, 
it, it often can be an afterthought. It often can be episodic, like, oh, in a moment, let me write a check to the Red Cross and, you know, let me buy a, a plate at this gala. And, and yes, those things count and those things matter. But when we start to talk about the entrenched issues and the challenges that our world faces and the, the talent that we carry as a global family and community, the fact that we are not leveraging, not even remotely, not even a little bit, the degree to which we could be leveraging our talent, our capacity to help solve these challenges of our time um, is crazy. Like we're, we are leaving so much opportunity for a better world on the table. And so for me, creating this social impact strategy and actually being able to help you architect and put it together step by step with the kind of rigor around your highest and best use and your biggest qualities and and that combined with your greatest passion um, was really important. And, and and the thing I want to point out, and Rob mentioned it, but it's huge, is that doing all that while creating a sustainable business model that's profitable, right? Because here's the thing, and I'll just, you know, Ron and I have had experience with this. We had our own nonprofit. We had friends who had nonprofits. And the model, uh, you know, of a lot of people who are cause-based, uh, you know, or and in the nonprofit world or in the activism world or whatever it is who want to make a difference, it is often fundamentally based upon being underfunded being overworked, being burned out, and being unsustainable. And we've seen that uh, impact people we know and love like significantly uh, in terms of their own health and lives. And so what we're, what you're talking about here, Ra, is the ability to, to make change in the world, to have it be done in a way that is aligned with, with your calling and who you are. And let's talk about the make money part. The, the, you know, the, the, uh, the, let's talk about the sustainable business model part. Because there are people out there who really don't believe you can do both. Right. Or you can do all three in this case, but, you know, that you can make a difference and make money. Right. And, and that is a big misconception. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of the fundamental challenges that most people face. You know, if you ask people what they want to be doing and if you ask people what they think pays their bills, you know, they will often tell you that they're not one in the same. Um, but I, I have a very different belief based upon everything that I've seen and invested in over, you know, 30 years on the front lines of various facets of communities and industries. And, um, and there is something about the power of alignment, which is the way that I define success. You know, and I really honestly believe that when you are trued up to your mission, your vision and your purpose, that actually success becomes easier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and your ability to achieve all of the various aspects of success actually become easier because you're able to magnetize and attract and draw those kinds of opportunities to you. In terms of the, 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 the challenge and, and, and sort of people feeling like they have to trade, it has to do with the ways that we've been conditioned in our society, quite frankly. We've been taught that we have to trade. We've been taught that you ought to play it safe. We've been taught that you need to color inside the lines or stay inside of the box. And so um, the book for some may be a little radical in the sense of, you know, I'm going to say to you, let's not do that. (laughs) And I also think, you know, quite frankly, we're in a time right now where I think people are feeling a greater sense of permission to innovate and feeling a greater sense of permission to be more entrepreneurial, even if they're operating and existing inside of institutions and organizations, right? So it's more about how do you think 
entrepreneurially as you consider the contribution you want to make, as you consider the brand you want to build, as you consider um, the value proposition that you want to offer to however you define your marketplace. And I really believe that if you're driven by wanting to give great value, if you're driven by wanting to make a transformative difference and impact on whoever it is that you define as your client, that that's a recipe for success. And, and, and here's the thing, folks. This and financial is not, success. I want to be yes. really specific. That's a recipe for financial. Right, 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 right. Exactly. But right. because that's what we're talking about. Yes. It is a recipe for financial success. And here's the thing that that's you know important, folks. Here, this is not theory. This is not you know th- this is something that Ra's been doing for the last thirty years. And and there's a million case studies, right? There are people who have built multi million dollar companies based upon this. There are people who have multiple New York Times bestselling books who didn't have them, be, you know, before. I mean, people who and, and they're living their purpose. So Ra, I'd love to you know because we've been talking about. Um, the book and, and and how practical it is and how there's you know real exercises in there, but there are also phenomenal stories, real life stories in the book. You know some some which are attributable to people who are comfortable with their names, some of which are you know uh, anonymous, etc. But I mean, there's story after story of amazing you know results, right? And and, and people actually living their calling and their purpose and achieving great things and having impact and and staying true and and you know doing good and and you know and 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 getting paid. So, you know, pick a story or two. Uh, there's so many great ones. Pick a story or two and and let's uh you know, let's let's give the the listeners here the uh you know, uh first of all, I think it, it's illustrative of what you're talking about, but also you know, the amazing part of, that, of this book is that it brings that mindset shift, it brings the practical exercises, but it also has these amazing stories. So it's also a great read. Thank you. Um, so, you know, one of the things that happens in the context of our work is that we get people who come from kind of all sides of the equation. You know, so there are entrepreneurs who have achieved a certain level of success and they may come to us because they're now looking for meaning. You know, they're at another chapter, another level in their life, another stage or phase in their life. And in order to, to really go to the next level of their own human growth and potential or the next level of their leadership, they really understand that meaning is important. You know, we're also in a time, you know, and, and shout out to our millennial generation because we're also in a time now where, you know, we've got a, a generation that's got significant buying power that is somewhat demanding that we really look at and, and consider um, how we do business when, when it comes to meaning and making meaning and mattering um, in, in, as it relates to some of the issues that, that we still are grappling with, right, as a, as a human family. Um, but I will also say to you that some of my greatest stories and joys have been working with people who have traditionally thought that they were building a not-for-profit Mm-hmm. And, you know, much to their at least initial dismay and then ultimately the end, great delight, discovered that they were not, if they were going to work with me, that they were actually <laughs> building a business. <laughs> and one of my, I guess, one of my many proudest examples would be the work with Heather and Box and Jillian McQueen and the Million Person Project. And, you know, when Heather first came to me, she didn't even think she had a business. She didn't even think she was working on a business. You know, she had been doing phenomenal political organizing work, was kind of burnt out and was actually kind of looking for a life coach um, and, you know, to try to sort of help her restore and refresh and renew and, and to gain, you know, some balance, some semblance of balance, and then to sort of potentially re- 
think about, okay, what would be the next career move? And she'd had this vision and this dream. Um, and I'd asked her to just kind of like free write in, you know, as, as part of an assignment, like just, you know, talk a little bit about your vision. What's the kind of world you want to live in? If you could have your way, you know, let's assume you could write the job description and not bound by anything that's, you know, sort of on Craigslist or, you know, whatever, monster.com, wherever the places we would go in those days. And, um, and she wrote this seven page document. And in the seven page document, there was this one line where she was like, I envision a million person project where people get to tell their greatest stories and heal and transform the world by having and showing up in the context of their stories and the power of their story. And, you know, everything in Heather's body, (laughs) mind and spirit told her that this was a not-for-profit and the initial sort of launching of the organization was through this sort of, you know, individual donor, you know, they were, they, they were launching through an international trip and they were going to raise X amount of money. And I mean, these folks were working their little fingers to the bone to raise, you know, this money and chasing people and, you know, and and, in the most loving way, um, you know, but, but, you know, when we got to sort of, I was like, look, you, you know, do what you need to do to get off the ground, but we're going to talk when you get back. <laughs> and I kind of sat her down and I was like, you know, I, I think that there's a different model. I think that there's a different way to do this. And her story is this story that I'm sharing with you is in the book. It's chapter 12. And we go back and forth and finally she kind of surrenders. And at the end of the conversation, I charge her with going out and getting five clients. You know, and and this was sort of the culmination of two or three conversations where we're like we're turning the ship, you know, and um, literally the next day, <laughs> she has a conversation with a colleague, and she's retelling the story of the coaching session, and she's like, and can you believe she's making me go out and I've got to get five clients and I've got to raise you know a minimum of of ten thousand dollars at least in terms of closing these deals, and he's like. I actually could use your training support. I'm willing to book you now for five trainings at $10,000. Could we just close that deal? And then maybe your homework's like done. (laughs) And that experience like created a whole new reality for them. And, you know, and I'm so thrilled to say that they've gone on to build a profitable multi six figure on its way to seven figure business. Um, and more joy, more fun, more ease. You know, they're literally right now on their book tour. They launched their book in September um, and, and have how, already sold thousands of copies. And, thousands and, and of how copies. many people have they impacted? How many stories have they, you know? I mean, they've like touched right? tens of thousands of people. And more yes. importantly, they've helped prep people who are speaking at the UN or people who are speaking on TED stages or people who are testifying in tribunals. I mean, really massive, massive impact when it really counts in terms of people being able to tell their story in a way that is provocative, in a way that is authentic, in a way that is true and that is real and that genuinely touches and moves people. And and the way to do it uh, that allows them not only to be in the full truth of who they are, but in the way that enables them to magnetize all kinds of resources and opportunities as a result. And for the leaders that they serve, um, you know, it's imperative that they're able to have that kind of access in order to move the needle on the issues that they're working on. So 
I love that. That's an amazing story of somebody who didn't even know they were in business, right? At the no, time. No. Um, so, so give it, you know, so, so, and you and, and the team have worked with people in that stage. And then you also, I mean, you work with some of the, you know, top people in various places. I won't say, uh, I'll let you choose who you want to, you know, but give us one more, one story of maybe somebody who was further along, you know, in their career or uh, business or whatever, and, and, and how you work with them. Absolutely. So this story is actually in the book as well. And, and this person was chose to be identified, which is really, you know, for, for us a gift because obviously many of these stories are really, really intimate. Um, and so that would be Aaron Osman, who is the uh, president and co-founder of uh, Sierra Nevada Corporation. And, um, and Aaron came to me because you know, she built this incredible company and her story is fascinating. You know, uh, um, she immigrated to this country from Turkey at 22 years old, spoke not a word of English um, and had, you know, unfortunately in the context of our, you know, our nation, we know that we are not always compassionate and and caring and welcoming. Um, and Aaron very much had the opposite of that experience in terms of the way that people treated her and very alienated. But Erin had a passion for numbers and she saw what was happening with technology at a very early age and began to become really confident on the computer and learning specifically how to work with financial systems on the computer. And, you know, she put herself through, through school and, um, and got her MBA and then wound up coming to work in this aerospace company. And this, you know, company was fledgling at the time. And then Ultimately, there became an opportunity where the company became very vulnerable and there was the potential to actually be able to buy the corporation. And she and her friend at the time, who sort of soon became her partner, ultimately her husband, who actually is also from Turkey and, you know, used to help her sort of teach English. She would cook and he would teach her English. I mean, you know, their story is beautiful, but Fatih and Aaron came together and wound up buying Sierra Nevada Corporation 30 years ago. And at the time, it was a $2.4 million company, kind of really struggling with about 24 employees and have grown it to an almost $3 billion company with over 4,000 employees. And they are one of the top contenders right now for um, the next space shuttle called the Dream Chaser. I was about to say, what does she have in common with? Collaboration with NASA. (laughs) (laughs) With Elon Musk and Richard Branson. Yes, yes, yes. She's, you know, she's, she and Fatih together, but she's the only woman in the world that that owns a a space shuttle. Um, And it's a collaboration with NASA and building on NASA technology and, um, and just the work that they do at Sierra Nevada Corporation is incredible in terms of the way that they're pushing innovation in space technology, not only from the place of what is the next generation of transportation, because ultimately the goal is that we'll all be able to go, but also what does it mean to be able to help push research, particularly medical research. And, um, and you know, I learned a ton um, traveling with Aaron this summer about just what being able to work in different kinds of atmospheric conditions makes available in terms of the rapid evolution and development of specific kinds of remedies for different kinds of ailments that, you know, that plague our, plague our society. So when you met her, she was at a, you know, she had already achieved a lot of that stuff that you were talking about. She's at yes. high level of success. Yes. So what, what are the principles in the calling and, and what you use? So like what what hide, is somebody like that work so with you? Hiding hiding because you know Elon Musk's name, you know Jeff Bezos's name, you know Richard Branson's name, 
but you don't know about Fatih and Aaron, and you particularly don't know about Aaron. <laughs> um, and so, you know, she literally came to me and was like, I'm hiding. And I know that there's a whole generation of women in aerospace that I can be inspiring, but I'm not doing it. And I want to, I want to do it. You know, that this is this, this is the next chapter in the next phase of her calling. And so I've had the privilege to be working with Erin for the last two years. And, um, and, you know, she recently had a, a, a major keynote moment, um, interview moment at, at a, a space conference, which I was traveling with her with this summer. And, you know, and people were so moved and inspired by her. Um, also because she's not typically what one would assume, you know, uh, an aerospace mogul, I guess, <laughs> looks like, you know. Um, and, and I think that that's also part of what makes Erin so exciting is to really be able to break the mold in these sort of non-traditional industries for women um, who sometimes believe that we have to trade certain facets and aspects of ourselves in order to really be successful. And I think she is an absolute demonstration that that is simply not true, mm. you know, that you can be you and succeed. And I would say for me that that's the biggest lesson that I want to offer humbly with the book is that, you know, because I believe that all of us, we don't just want to be successful. We want to be successful with feeling that we don't have to trade things that are near and dear to us, like our families, like our health, like our own authenticity and integrity and our values. We want to feel like we can cross the line with those things intact. That's the same true part. That's and this is, this is the, you know, for me, this is the impetus for having wanted to develop and create such a comprehensive guide and blueprint for how to do that. So, Ra, if people want to get the book, uh, they want to find out more about you, what's the best place for them to go? So our website is movethecrowd.me, as in move me, um, and backslash, or sorry, forward slash the calling. Um, and you can learn more all about the book. You can also go to Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all of your major book retailers. The book is out there, as well as if you're an Audible person, you can go onto Audible and download it there. Uh, shout out to Macmillan Press, shout out to St. Martin's Press um, and Macmillan Audio. Um, and you're able to, to access the book. Awesome. Awesome. So my final question on the podcast, as you well know, uh, is is always about authenticity. And uh, and I won't give my big, this is important to me. It's different than integrity, et cetera. It's about alignment. And obviously that's a lot about, I mean, your whole book is about the calling, which is totally in alignment. But I, I want to ask you, know, you, you know, let's move from the book to you personally, right? So what, what does authenticity mean to you and how do you apply it in your life, whether it's for you personally or with your clients or in your business, how you deal with your employees? Uh, you know, what, what, what does that mean to you? I mean, to me, it's everything because I believe that the only way that we are really going to get the kind of world that we want to see, the kind of world that we want to raise our children in, the kind of world that we want to leave to future generations is if each of us is bringing that which is really designed uniquely for us to bring. And you don't discover that. You don't find that unless you're willing to make a commitment to that which is true, that which is authentic to you. So for me, you know, my, my words are true. <laughs> you know, my, to your authentic, my words are true, is, you know, to really discover um, 
all of who you are. I mean, we're so much more magnificent than we ever give ourselves credit for. You know, wherever we are, whoever we we are, wherever we come from, whatever we've been through, um, they all all of those things have been um, designed to add to the capacity that we now have to make a difference, to make a contribution, to matter in the ways that really matter. And so uh, I don't believe you get there unless you're really willing to, to tap that authentic source, that soul. That, and, and, and I want to say, you know, I'm a soul coach. You know, I'm all about the nature of your soul. If you come and work with me, we're looking at your soul's purpose and what it is that you're here to do in this world that is uniquely yours. And, and I think the more that we're willing to courageously venture out and claim that and name that and work from that place and build from that place, the more innovation, the more growth and acceleration, the more um, just harmonious and sustainable, I believe our world will be. So folks, if that's what you want, go get the book, all right, The Calling. Um, I mean, listen, I, uh, I've i already uh, made the uh, the personal appeals to the people who love us to support it because it's us, but, but, but it's way more than that. I mean, this book, the principles in this book are what Roz used to, to help people really you know, change their lives and even more importantly have, you know, there's a concept that I talked about at one of our events uh, where I used ROI as opposed to return on investment, return on impact. And, you know, when you get to coach and impact people, then impact others and really move things in the world. That's, you know, it's a beautiful thing. And it's what Ra does and it's what these principles in the book will teach you. So um, go get the book. Ra, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Mr. Kupfer. You are the best. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you, Felix Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. And it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor, other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals, and then they take action. Well, it's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.